2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisco, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today, Bengals fans, there's finally a little bit in the way of news to talk about. And we will start there. We get Andrew Whitworth talking to Willie Anderson on Willie Anderson's Instagram Live on Wednesday night. A report from Ben Baby, who talked to Brian Callahan about what Joe Burrow is doing to prepare. And Roger Goodell's memo to NFL teams that Adam Schefter, Ian Rapaport, amongst others, have published the entirety of. The coaches will be allowed back in NFL facilities on Friday. We'll start there and then get into the mailbag as we do on the weekend. We're continuing that tradition here through June when we go to just three episodes per week. The mailbag does not go anywhere and we will continue that tradition and that starts today, James. But before we get to our questions, we start with these news items that we haven't really had for a while. James, let's get started with the unofficial news, which saw Andrew Whitworth show up on Willie Anderson's Instagram Live. Wasn't covered by journalists directly, but was directly visible to Bengals fans who pay attention to what Willie Anderson does and has been doing with former Bengals on Instagram. And there were some interesting tidbits to come
0: out about the
2: end of Andrew Whitworth's time in Cincinnati.
0: There were, and I think the biggest takeaway, and it's something I didn't know, and I don't know if our our listeners knew it or if this was common knowledge. But Andrew Whitworth signed a one-year extension with the team back in September of 2015. And he says that Katie and Troy Blackburn had already told him that he was done. And if you think back to that year, really a a draft class that killed the Bengals in the middle of the decade after they drafted Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher in the first and second rounds, Katie and Troy, according to Andrew Whitworth, told him he was done, said that's it. And Mike Brown was the one who went rogue, and I say that in quotes, and signed Whitworth to a one-year deal, or one-year extension, rather. So other than that, if it wasn't for Mike Brown, Andrew Whitworth would have left a year early, after the Bengals had went 12-4, and after they had one of the best rosters in the league. And I I think that was their downturn. We all look back at that 2015 draft, and them picking two busts at tackle, one that isn't even in the league anymore. And it's just... It's pretty damn telling that when this fell apart and how the Bengals went from five straight playoff appearances to four straight losing seasons, it had a lot to do with that offensive line and Andrew Whitworth and how they handled that transition from one phase and one era of the team to the next.
2: Whitworth also mentioned that he got about half of what other teams offered from the Bengals. And this isn't necessarily new his wife previously detailing the end of his time and the negotiations, the fact that the money was just too good to pass up to go elsewhere, even though he wanted to go back to Cincinnati back in 2016. And the other interesting thing I think James is that he said he was going to sign a one year deal or one day deal at some point with the Bengals to retire Bengal, which I honestly, after hearing the way he finished his time in Cincinnati, wasn't expecting But that
0: is really nice to hear that there are still those ties to the team. I hope it happens. I'm still pessimistic a bit because you're right. He said that was the plan. And he had talked with Mike about that even after he agreed to that deal with the Rams. But what happens if he plays out this next contract in Los Angeles and he spends six of his 17 year NFL career? And that's what it'll end up being uh, if he finishes these final three years in L.A. I just I don't I don't know. But it would be great to see he's one heck of a player. He never should have left. I think everyone that day, the day he signed with the Rams, it was like, all right, well, it's time to rebuild because this is just awful. And it has been. And uh, they're still hoping and trying to replace him at left tackle. And it's a testament to him. How about this? They draft two guys to replace him back in 2015. He outlasts one in the league. And if I had to bet on Andrew Whitworth playing more years in the NFL than Cedric Abuehi, I I certainly would do that as well. He signed a one-year deal with Seattle this offseason. So good for Andrew Whitworth. He's going to get the last laugh regardless, but it would be great to see him sign a a one-day contract and finish his career as a Bengal.
2: Moving on, Roger Goodell issues a memo that advises that beginning on June 5th, coaching staffs are allowed back in facilities However, NFL teams, the Bengals included, are not expecting to see players again until training camp, so it sounds like hopes to get together for mini camps in June are not likely at this point. So the Bengals and Brian Callahan and Joe Burrow are moving forward using Zoom meetings to try to get things installed and get Joe Burrow used to snap counts and adjusting protections in the NFL. And
0: ESPN's Ben Baby wrote an article about this and detailed what Joe Burrow was up to. And one of the things he's worked with offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan is diagnosing the defenses is looking at the defensive line and the fact that they're able to do that and do that effectively in their eyes at this stage of the off season, given that it's all virtual, I think is a huge plus for the Bengals and gives them a real shot to hit the ground running when training camp begins next month. Of course, the Bengals have done this before. When Andy Dalton came into the league,
2: they dealt with a shortened offseason. Different conditions, but at least they have some experience in the area. And Callahan Callahan did credit Burrow with being exceptional during the virtual learning. And James, one last note of news before we get to the mailbag, and that is that Travion Williams, the Bengals' former sixth-round pick, is a father. So we wanted to take a second to congratulate Travion on fatherhood. He posted some... Pictures on social media of his newborn child. And maybe he will get his kid on built Bars, James, when he's ready to start working out. I know it's your favorite protein bar. The protein bar that tastes like a candy bar with so many different flavors covered in
0: real chocolate. James, what flavor did you have today? I went with the mint chocolate again today. It's probably my favorite flavor. It's my favorite ice cream flavor and it translates... To built Bars, you're right. It tastes like a candy bar, fits your macros perfectly. And if Travion Williams wants his son to, to fit his macros, at, you know, when he's four and five doing push-ups like his dad, then I, I would suggest built Bars. I, you know, I, I hope all the Bengals take them. We've been talking about that. But if you're looking for a perfect snack, midday snack, or maybe it's a meal replacement during the day or anything like that as you try to fit your macros, built Bar is the way to go. Go check out BiltBar.com
2: and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON at BiltBar.com.
1: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
0: It's our favorite time of the week here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. It's time for our weekend mailbag where we get to answer your questions on Twitter at Locked On Bengals. And Jake, let's start with JoJo Jammer on Twitter. He says, Are you surprised Denard and Dre, as in DarkWest Denard and Dre Kirkpatrick, have not been signed? I am a little bit.
2: But I, I think that I'm also not insofar as this has been a weird offseason and you haven't really seen players signing contracts since that initial free agent push when Dark and had an agreement in place with Jacksonville that has since fallen through. I, I think that now that coaches are getting back into the building, we're moving toward training camp, we're going to see guys starting to get signed again sometime soon. And once you start to see a few players go... I think we'll start to see a bit more of a of a domino effect for the remaining free agents. But I'm not surprised that they're available still just because
0: we've seen a bit of a moratorium across the league in free agent signing. I think that's spot on. It's look, you look at Darquez Denard, you look at Drake Kirkpatrick, they have an injury history. And I think injuries were part of the reason why that Jacksonville deal fell through And so you look at it now, if you can't bring in Darquez Denard for a physical, and you're probably signing him to a one-year deal anyway, why not just wait? Why not just wait until your team doctors can look at him? Same thing with Drake Kirkpatrick. And on the player side, you're probably not getting big offers right now. I mean, there are a lot of players that are still available. We've talked about Larry Warford in free agency, Jason Peters in free agency. Like, there's some quality talent. Cam Newton is still available. So Drake Kirkpatrick and Darquez Denard, they're absolutely going to be on NFL teams but like you, I think it'll be closer to, to training camp when they sign after they can get into a team's facility, have a team's doctors look at them so they can negotiate a, a fair deal instead of you know signing a one-year minimum type deal, which would be a bargain for a team.
2: Yeah, I think if you see either of those guys land on veteran minimum deals, I would be absolutely shocked. Our next question comes from David Weisenhahn at d 543 on Twitter. There have been some people saying that the Bengals will win a Super Bowl in the next 10 years. Now, James, I personally haven't seen those people myself. Maybe they're Bengals fans saying that, but when do you think that might happen?
0: <laughs> I mean, man, I, I haven't seen them win a playoff game in my life. And I know they've been to two, two Super Bowls, but it's uh, – It's one of those things where you hope that Joe Burrow is the player everyone seems to think he is, because if that's the case, that'll go a long way towards getting them to a Super Bowl. But that being said, it's hard, even if Joe Burrow is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has been one Super Bowl. It is hard. So it's up to the organization to put the necessary pieces in place. And until I see that, I'm not going to say it's going to happen within the next 10 years, because I don't know if they're going to win a playoff game. In the next ten years, so we'll 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 see. I'm uh, I don't want to be pessimistic or too pessimistic, but I, I think it's more realistic to uh, to not have those expectations, even though we're talking about a decade. Yeah, I'll answer this
2: question a little bit in a different perspective because I agree with what you're saying there. I, I think that expecting a Super Bowl in the NFL period, unless you've got Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and you're a true dynasty the way they have been is a lot. And even expecting the Patriots to actually win a Super Bowl in the peak of their dynasty was a lot. I I think there's so much that can go wrong in one and done playoffs where a lot of the times the best team in the NFL doesn't end up winning the Super Bowl. I think that's the nature of one and done tournaments that the Bengals have, or not the Bengals, but that the NFL has in the playoffs. Now, When is the earliest the Bengals are in that Super Bowl window, I think is a fair question to ask. And I think that is probably starting in 2022. And I think that that means that they have two more years of transition time for Burrow to get through being a rookie, taking hopefully a jump in his first two years and and being a top 10, top five, if we're lucky, NFL quarterback. And then the remainder of those two years is going to need to be used to replace the guys that are part of the old core that were part of the last Super Bowl window who aren't likely to have the juice to continue to be elite players when Joe Burrow is ready to compete late in the pre or postseason. And that's guys like Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap. They've already had to do this on the offensive line, but at some point it's going to be A.J. Green as well as he's going to be in more of a role player role in a few years. So to me, that is a two-year process to find the guys that fit your team, that establish that new core. And I, I hope that they have gotten off to a good start with the last two drafts and those guys step up and become that
0: core. But there's certainly work to do before they get to that point. Let's keep things rolling with Dom. He says, what are your thoughts about A.J. Green and Jonah Williams being possible comeback player of the year candidates? Now, Gil Brandt mentioned both Jonah Williams and A.J. Green on NFL.com as bounce back candidates. He, He listed 12 different players, and both of those guys were on the list.
2: Yeah, I mean, great. Right. I uh, I would love it for either of those guys to win comeback player of the year, because that probably means that either of them have had good years. I think between the two of them, man, if I had to pick one that I would hope to, to have the stronger year, I think it's Jonah Williams, honestly, just because of the, the relative depth that the Bengals have at wide receiver and I know A.J. Green makes a huge difference. We talked about the disparity in, in the Bengals' winning percentage when he's on the field versus when he's injured. But finding something at left tackle again just seems so important. But, hey, I, I love that there's that kind of optimism in the world for both of these players, uh, and, and I hope they both have great years. And, and, you know, good for Gil Brandt to call out the Bengals with some potential positivity.
0: I think it's unrealistic to expect Jonah Williams to, no, no matter how well he plays, to be in that that list, right, of, of being a, a real comeback player of the year candidate. Usually, that's a, a an established star, someone like an AJ Green who's dealt with injuries and bounces back. So, if you're you telling me or asking me which one was more likely, I would say AJ Green because I know when he's healthy, he can be great, and I'm not sure about that with Jonah Williams. There's a question mark, but there's no doubt when you look at how successful the Bengals are in 2020, that that could be directly tied to how successful Jonah Williams is at left tackle and how healthy and and productive A.J. Green is at wide receiver. So I I think uh, outside of Joe Burrow, there aren't many people that are more important on this team uh, to the Bengals' success than Jonah Williams and A.J. Green. You make
2: a really good point. I wonder if any second-year player has ever won Comeback Player of the Year before. I just can't imagine that that would be the case. Our next question comes from Greg Luther at Gregor09 on Twitter. What do you think Akeem Davis Gaither's role will be with the team this year and for the next couple of years since he's very versatile? And we have another question about linebackers we're going to get to toward the end of the mailbag, so let's focus on the young ADG. For this one, James,
0: it's hard to really predict what his role is going to be because suddenly their linebacker room is is deep. I, I know I, I don't want to say it's it's super deep, but there's just there's a lot of guys. You expect Josh Bynes and Jermaine Pratt to start. I think you're going to see a lot of Logan Wilson, a- and then what, where does Akeem Davis Gaither fit in? I, I think he's going to contribute on special teams right away, which I know you don't like to hear out of a guy like that. And he, he is extremely versatile. And and I think you can put him in on, on passing downs and have him cover opposing running backs. And the, the beauty of him is he does come off the edge a bit and you can use him in different situations. So I think you move him around the field. He can be a chess piece. He might be specifically a, a special special teams player early in the year. But as he gets up to speed uh and, and earns the the trust of coaches Don't be shocked at all if he's contributing regularly on defense by by the end of the year or uh, in uh, 2021, rather, if if that takes that long. I I think by the next year and year two, he'll certainly be a regular contributor on defense, but we could see that towards the tail end of this season, too.
2: Yeah, I think that we will see some of Akeem Davis-Gaither in that sub-package role. We've talked about his speed, his pass rush ability, and I think that it makes sense to use him match up dependently in passing downs as a QB spy, as a pass rusher, potentially in those shallow zones, depending on how his learning curve comes along. But if you want to reproduce the role that he played at Appalachian State, that's not a position that exists in the NFL. He had this overhang role on the weak side of the formation. He wasn't even truly in the box. It was more of kind of a strong safety or slot corner alignment but over nobody in particular. So where does that translate to the NFL? I think is, is putting him in some simpler positions to start his career. And then as he starts to get more comfortable with terminology, with scheme in the NFL, he can play a little bit more in a coverage role as well. But certainly agree with you about special teams applicability with his athleticism, with his speed, and some of that sub-package role to start things off in his NFL career James we have a few more questions to get to in the mailbag so let's get back into those coming up next
1: if you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason look no further than the locked on NFL scouting podcast
0: Let's keep things rolling with the mailbag. Cornelius Von Pop at Tadford on Twitter. Ask if there's any competition for Randy Bullock and where would it come from? So Jake, is there competition for Randy? There
2: are one kickers. That's right. <laughs> one kickers on the Bengals roster. And that's Randy Bullock. They have one punter right now as well. And that's Kevin Huber. Typically, we've seen the Bengals bring in a training camp body, both at puncher and a kicker for the last few years in particular. I know there's a lot of Kevin Huber is the best puncher in the NFL thought in Cincinnati. A lot of hero worship because he is a Cincinnati product. And I know he was great at the University of Cincinnati and has been good in the NFL. I also think that Kevin Huber is one of the more overrated players on the Bengals related to other positions. And I know that's heresy for most Bengals fans. I don't think that it's urgent to get competition in for Kevin Huber, the way that I would like to see it though, for Randy Bullock, the way that a punter doesn't change the game, the way a kicker can change the way that you make decisions around midfield. And so while I would have liked to have seen, you know, Bass, Tyler Bass be selected by the Bengals in the late rounds or, scooped up as an undrafted free agent if he was available there they didn't go that way so it's going to be randy bullock and they might get a late camp body in there but that's what it's going to be for for better or worse for 2020
0: you answered the question but i'm going to hit you with a hypothetical if you could trade Akeem deneji for tyler bass would you do it no so that's the sixth rounder what about marcus bailey i'm I'm just hypothetical sure marcus bailey <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean it's a seventh round pick. I really like Marcus Bailey too, but man, Tyler Bass is out there, and and it's not like a realistic game situation or whatever. There are videos of the out there of him kicking field goals accurately for the Bills from like seventy five yards, and he takes a bit of a of a kickoff style run up to it. But man, that guy has a crazy leg, and and uh, you know we've been talking about that for a while in the Locked On Bengals podcast, but. It's it's a, little, it's a bit much to give up a position player for it. But Marcus Bailey is a guy that is a true lottery ticket. And while I really like the draft pick, I would have liked it just as much if it was Tyler Bass.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure Bass was was gone by the seventh round anyway. I'm pretty sure. But uh, it, it would be an interesting hypothetical. They had their kicker. Jake Elliott was here. And I don't care about his numbers. He has a stronger leg. And, and that's why I, I would have picked him a couple of years ago over Randy Bullock but it's Randy and that's uh looks like who it's going to be this year at kicker for the Cincinnati Bengals man dredging up the decision about Jake Elliott just still hurts me to
2: this day it it isn't as consequential as the mistake they made with Evan Mathis and Nate Living's but to be honest Elliott you know he's been good but he's still been inconsistent in the NFL I think that's the issue the Bengals had with him but just like there seems to be this complacency with Bullock and The way it makes them coach around midfield just consistently drives me a little nuts, but they did trust Bullock a little bit more with long field goals. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but let's stop talking about kickers because it makes me sad for the record. Tyler Bass picked 188th by the Buffalo bills would not have been available in the seventh round if the Bengals were even considering him. So our next question comes from Cubby Wilson at Arcadia Historia. How do you think, jesse bates von bell and sean williams are going to be used in the secondary and this is relevant james because jeff hobson talked to sean
0: williams for bengals.com and just put out an article about this he did and it's it's interesting because I, i don't think sean williams knows how he's going to be used in this defense right now i think it's pretty clear that von bell is going to start alongside jesse bates so to sean williams move into that hybrid linebacker role at times and do they move him in inside and, and around the line of scrimmage or closer to the line of scrimmage? Or is, does he become a, a strictly a backup? Does he become a cap casualty where they'd save $4 million? I I don't know. And, and I don't think they really know right now. Here's what I will say. Lou Anarumo would love to have Sean Williams as a backup and a guy that he can move around and kind of a, another chess piece. But – I I don't think that there is an obvious role for Sean Williams where he's going to to start or get a ton of playing time without injury. Because Jesse Bates is better at what he does. Von Bell is better at what he does. And while they weren't expecting to sign Bell, I think they're excited to see what he brings to the defense. So Sean Williams is going to be on the outside looking in uh, of this starting lineup, assuming everybody's healthy.
2: Yeah, and it sounds like there might be a lot of sub-package stuff that they do with linebackers and with the depth they have at safety. So we'll have to see how that plays out because I agree with you, James, about the depth chart right now. I think it is definitely Jesse Bates and Von Bell to start. But Sean Williams, you know, two-time defensive captain, as pointed out in Jeff Hobson's piece on Bengals.com, is going to have to get on the field if he's still on the team. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I don't have a good idea for it. They have so many new players at linebacker, and now you have Von Bell and Jesse Bates. Where does Sean Williams fit in there? He really plays the same position as Von Bell. I'm gonna ask you this next question, James, even though I know it's your turn to ask questions, because I think that this is a this is a James question more than it's a Jake question. I don't do as well with these
0: sorts of questions. But Juicy Jake. I'll take that as a compliment. I'll take that as a compliment.
2: It's a skill set thing, right? Juicy Jake, though, on Twitter wants to know if you will name a player that will exceed expectations for 2020. And and James, I'm going to challenge you here. You can't say John Ross and a player that will not play to his potential.
0: I wasn't going to. I I actually think that William Jackson III is going to have a big year as well. And and the more and more I think about this secondary, and, and we just talked about Jesse Bates and Von Bell and obviously you get Trey Waynes and the linebacker core has improved. The defensive line has improved. I think that sets up for a guy like William Jackson, the third um, I I'm sure he's hunkered down and he's worked his tail off this off season. I bet he comes in and I don't know if he's going to be as good as he was in 2017 because the, the analytics and you know, and the pro football focus scores and everything like that, he was amazing. So I don't know if he'll be that great, but he's going to be pretty damn good this year. So I think he's a guy sort of going under the radar after a down year last year. But I think he'll bounce back and I think he'll show uh, the NFL that he could be a, a potential lockdown corner. And, and then a guy that will not play to his potential. I could name really anyone on the, the offensive line and, and not be be shocked about it here. And, and, and that's what I'm going to do. I, I think that y- you look at what they've done on the offensive line and it isn't enough. And while they like Xavier Suofilo and they like, Mike Jordan, I think both of those guys, they're higher on than, and they think their potential is higher than it actually is. So we could argue, I guess, about the potential, but I think both of those guys will be a little more underwhelming than what the Bengals expect. And we'll be talking about the offensive line for uh, decent stretches here in 2020.
2: Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of a different route to answer this question, although I do like your answers. I, I actually agree with you that the guy that could exceed expectations depending on what your expectations are is William Jackson it could also be Logan Wilson uh really like him as a third round linebacker who could play a lot his rookie year but it does sound like the coaching staff favors Josh Bynes and he has a head start for playing time especially early in the year the reason I'm not going to go with an offensive lineman though for a, a player that might not play up to his potential is because I don't think that I expect any of these guys to be particularly good. And and if they are good, then, you know, as you said, you can argue about the potential. Well, it's hard for me to imagine them not playing to their potential because I I don't have high expectations in the first place. I'm going to put a little bit of caution out there for T. Higgins. And I'm picking a rookie wide receiver and, and kind of playing the odds here. It sometimes takes guys a little bit of time to acclimate to the NFL T Higgins coming out young. He might have some development that he needs to do. And there's a very crowded room at wide receiver. So could T Higgins have a great rookie year? Yeah, he could. But if you're expecting him to go out there and be a 70, 80 catch guy, 900 to a thousand yards, I don't think that that's fair for him for his rookie season. And I do think he has a lot of potential but I just think it might take a little bit of time to get there, as you see with young receivers when they come into the NFL.
0: That's fair. I mean, he might be their fourth wide receiver. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if it takes him a little time to adjust, especially with the offseason being what it has been. Uh, let's keep things rolling with Mex Bengals official on Twitter. He wants to know, Jake, if AJ Green has an outstanding season, do you think he can get a multi year contract? I think this one's pretty simple.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that they're considering <laughs> giving him a multi-year deal anyway. And if he goes out there and plays well, the Bengals are going to try to bring him back for three years, you you might say. But there's just enough concern that is very well documented at this point that they want to see him do it before they dole out the money and dole out the years. And that's understandable. Uh, and I also understand where AJ Green's coming from, where he's like, man, you guys got to trust me because somebody's going to pay me. And and I do think that if AJ Green has a healthy year, uh, somebody's going to pay him.
0: Someone will pay him, and the Bengals should pay him. I- I'll come out right now. I think they should rip up that franchise tag and sign him to a three year deal now. So that way you have him for his age 32, 33, and 34 seasons and you're not getting into age 35, if you wait to sign him to a three-year extension until after this year, then you're paying him potentially $19, $20 million for 35-year-old A.J. Green. That's a big difference. And instead of committing, let's say, 58 to $60 million over the next three seasons, if you sign him to a three-year extension after paying him $18 million this year, you're talking about nearly $80 million for 32- through 36-year-old A.J. Green. I would rather get it done now. I get it. There's a risk with the injury history, but I think it makes a lot of sense to to pay him for 32, 33, and 34 and avoid paying him big money at 35.
2: Especially because I think the way that the NFL tends to structure contracts, the later we get in the contract, the easier it will be if they need to move on, if he needs to retire for them to man- manage the cap. But again, the cap is fake. And uh, it's all it's all ridiculous. So just pay the guy if you want to keep him, and and don't worry about it unless you don't have the cash. Our last question for the mailbag today comes from Logie B five one three, who asks for us to help him set expectations for this new linebacker group. What was a rookie linebacker that joined a team and made an immediate impact? What does an average NFL rookie have as an impact for a team, and and would average still be an improvement? over what the Bengals had last year?
0: Let's start with the rookies that have stood out. And I'll give you two. And they had different expectations, but I don't know how you could go without mentioning Odell Thurman in 2005 and what he did uh, as a rookie uh, out of Georgia. I mean, he was great, right? So that's one. And the other one's Vontez Perfect. Undrafted guy, but in the preseason. I remember a preseason game, I think he picked off Tim Tebow. Pretty sure that's what it was. And I get it, it's Tim Tebow. But you could tell right then, it's like, whoa, this guy's a little different. And and so I think you can make, uh, you, you know, there, there are instances of rookie linebackers making an impact. That being said, I, I don't necessarily know if, and you talked about this a little bit with Logan Wilson, in a perfect world, I don't know if that would be the case here. I think they'd love to see Jermaine Pratt and Josh Bynes really have success together. And then Logan Wilson come in on passing downs with Pratt and develop some. So we'll see here. I don't have extremely high expectations for any of these guys. I don't think that Logan Wilson is going to be Odell Thurman or be, uh, you know, von Tess Perfect and have that kind of impact early on. But I also wouldn't be shocked at all if he does have an impact and, and is able to cover running backs and is an upgrade to get to the final part. I do think they have upgraded tremendously at that spot. And if you're saying, do you want Nick Vigil guarding these running backs and wide receivers and tight ends and things like that in the AFC North, or Logan Wilson, I'll take Logan Wilson. So I think the rookies are an upgrade from what they had, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have huge seasons, statistically speaking.
2: Those are some good Bengals examples. I'm going to take a PFF, all NFL players in the last couple of years perspective, and we'll start with, will they be an improvement over what the Bengals had last year from a PFF perspective, the Bengals probably had the worst linebackers in the league last year with their two guys that played essentially full-time Nick Vigil and Jermaine Pratt, both coming in around a 50 overall grade. Now, if we look just at the second half of the season, when things started turning around a little bit for the Bengals defense, Jermaine Pratt's grade goes up to be about a 60. He's still around. He did show improvement on the stretch. So he might still be a 65 ish player. If you, project a similar amount of growth you expect him to be in the mid 60s for a pff grade which is average that's in the average nfl linebacker range in his second season nick vigil second half of the season a little bit better he was a 63 in the second half and he did play markedly better you look at rookies in the 2019 season that played at least 50 percent of their team's snaps and for one there's only six of these guys So that tells you how many linebackers are playing heavy snaps in the NFL, especially in the most recent rookie class. And it's not Devin Bush or Devin White that are the top-ranked guys for PFF. It's Dre Greenlaw, who was, I think, an undrafted player for San Francisco. I'm going to confirm that. He was a fifth-round pick for San Francisco out of Arkansas. And he grades out at a 64 As a rookie, he was the best graded rookie linebacker that played a significant amount of his team snaps last year. The average here in the middle, you have Cole Holcomb for Washington at 56 and Jelani Tavai for Detroit, who comes in at a 60. Devin Bush, a 63. Devin White, a 50. So there you have a pretty poor outcome, I'd say, for 2019 rookies in 2019. You go back to 2018, it looks a lot better. Leighton Van Der an 84 as a rookie. He was elite (laughs) right away. Darius Leonard, the defensive rookie of the year for Indianapolis, was great right away with an 81. Jerome Baker for Miami was better than average with a 70. Roquan Smith, Fred Warner, both come in at 64, both very good for their respective teams, and Tremaine Edmonds, sorry, at 57. So looking at the last two years, the average for these rookies that are getting a lot of playing time is a little bit better than the average NFL player. But these are the guys that are getting a lot of playing time. So if Logan Wilson is able to go out there and carve out a role, that's 700 plus snaps, you should expect that he will be at least an average NFL linebacker. If none of these guys get on the field much, then you're relying on Jermaine Pratt, who you're hoping gets to that second year average level of play, if not a little bit better as he's getting over that learning curve to go from safety to linebacker in the NFL. And Josh Bynes continues to provide, you know, league average play at linebacker, a little bit one-dimensional in the run support and tackling part of the game, but can be competent as a coverbacker. backer. And then none of those rookies are even on the field and you're not expecting much. So that's what I get when I look at the last couple of years of PFF data. And just for fun, we'll look back. At 2017's linebackers, there's only three guys in 2017 that were rookies that played at least 50% of their team's defensive snaps. And that's Jared Davis with Detroit, who had a 53 grade as a rookie. Kendall Blackwith for Tampa, who had a 53 as a rookie. And Zach Cunningham for Houston, who's now great, but had a 66 grade as a rookie. So there you have it. Not likely that any of these guys... I think makes it to that 50% snap threshold. But if they do, there's a good
0: chance that they're at least average linebackers for the Bengals in the NFL. That was a lot of numbers, but I think I followed you. I think I was able to keep up with it all. And uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see which rookies emerge. And it could be one of these linebackers. But I think Josh Bynes and Jermaine Pratt are going to have a lot to say about it.
2: Yeah, the numbers do get a little bit better when you reduce the snap threshold. But uh, it's going to be, a, a again, a, a wide range of outcomes. Uh, you know, we, we keep talking about it. I, I'm going to say it probably in every episode from now until week four. Uh, but, you know, is it, I expect Logan Wilson to hit the ground running, to be honest. I expect Logan Wilson to be an average NFL linebacker in his rookie year. That's where I'm at on him. Maybe that's a bit high. Uh, but to answer your question, Logie, that's where my expectations are. That's going to do it for this edition of the Lockdown Bengals Mailbag and for this week of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. Again, I want to reiterate to everybody out there listening, I hope you stay safe. I hope you're doing all right. And until next time, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one.